Hello and welcome to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world dedicated to celebrating helicopter explosions in film. On each show, we take a look at a movie with the sole aim of eulogising or criticising our favourite movie trope. My name is Will, and I'm back piloting this podcast. Now, with Mission Impossible Rogue Nation about to be released in cinemas, we thought it was a great time to go back and look at the film which launched the whole face-swapping, wire-dangling franchise, especially as it includes an absolute stone-cold classic helicopter explosion. Yep, we're looking at 1996's Mission Impossible. Now, a movie review this dangerous requires a guest with a very particular set of skills, so I've carefully combed the personnel files at Exploding Helicopter and selected a guest who's been disavowed by every known podcast. His mission, should he choose to accept it, is to help me review this film. As always, should he be caught delivering a bland opinion, I will deny any knowledge of his actions. Hopefully he won't self-destruct in the next five seconds. Welcome to the show, Dara. Hello, everybody. I hope that you are in keeping with the theme of this film. I hope you're doing this podcast dangling from a wire inches from your computer. Yeah, in my pants, because I just like to put a new spin on it. That's uh, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful image you've put into my mind. <laughs> Thank you for that. I could ask if you've seen something incredibly boring recently, but I'm, I'm going to stick with my uh, trusty old favourite of asking if you've seen uh, anything interesting lately. I have actually. I've been. I've got Netflix, as everyone in the world has, and obviously, a lot of people are desperate for see any decent films on there. Sometimes it's a bit of a poor show. But I found something which I recommend to all all the viewers, all the listeners. It's called A Separation. It's an Iranian film with subtitles. It's not probably not everyone's cup of tea. You're supposed to be in, in the mood for it, but it's a. I thought it was an amazing film. One of the best films I've seen. Basically about the dissolution of a relationship and in Iran. So you're seeing it all from an Iranian context. So culturally, it's very different from what you'd expect from a sort of a American stroke English film. Basically, it's a chap who has to get a, a babysitter to look after his child after he separates. And uh, things happen with regards to the babysitter. And basically, I don't want to give too much away. It's a very tightly wound plot. It's basically the complete opposite of an exploding helicopter film it's very um uh character heavy so i do recommend it okay so as a film about an iranian divorce basically yes it's as depressing as it sounds okay you're uh you're really uh selling it to me uh is it a new is it come out recently uh, i think it's from 2012 went to Cannes. i think it won I think it got nominated uh, for Best Foreign Screenplay at the Oscars of that year. So it's got pedigree. It's won awards. Um, it's it's a great film for a reason. OK, well, out of respect for your opinion, I will add it to uh, my list on Netflix and uh, I will give it a watch. Excellent. OK, Dara, let's get stuck into Mission Impossible. Simple game. Always. It's much worse than you think. We're being ambushed. Abort, that's an order. They knew, they knew we were coming. Do you read me? I don't care how he did it. I want to know why he did it. You're worried about me. Why you survived. I'm sure we can find something I have that you need. No one sent me. These guys are trained to be ghosts. Let's not waste time chasing after him. Let's make him come to us. Find something that's personally important to him and you squeeze. 
So Mission Impossible came out in 1996. It was a big screen reboot of the popular 1960s espionage TV series, and it was directed by Brian De Palma, who made Scarface and The Untouchables. The film stars a number of familiar Hollywood faces in Tom Cruise, John Voight and Ving Rhames. But more intriguingly, it also stars a number of acclaimed European actors not normally associated with big-budget Hollywood blockbusters. So co-starring, we've got Kristen Scott Thomas, Vanessa Redgrave and Emmanuel Beert. The plot sees Tom Cruise falsely accused of stealing a list of undercover agents by a traitor with his own team. Hunted by his former employers, Cruise must stop the names being leaked to the enemy whilst uncovering the name of the real traitor. Dara, what did you make of this rewatch of Mission Impossible? Yeah, it's been quite a while since I, I've seen it. I think I probably did actually watch it when it first came out. I'm going to, unfortunately, wee on your fire here a little bit, Well, because I found that it looked really dated. Obviously, it's very gadget heavy and very, I think 1996 was kind of a pioneering year for the Internet. So they wanted to incorporate a lot of the Internet and email and all these new things that were coming on board at that time. And when you look at it now, it's it's sort of laughable how basic it all looked. I think one of the big sort of plot elements was the uh, was the glasses that also doubled up as a camera. Never really explained what, how they worked, but you can buy glasses that are cameras back for £20 off of eBay these days. There's like elements in the movie where a lot of it um, works on um, email backwards, backwards and forwards between Max and uh, Tom Cruise having a activate internet button and internet activated like it's some amazing machine <laughs> when he goes to the computer is, is laughable now. Um, I, I don't know what you thought about that. I wasn't too fussed by the glasses, I have to confess. I mean, that's if anything, that seemed more prescient than dated because it seems to be something where they were perhaps ahead of the curve. Whereas, you know, you've got all these Google glasses now, whereas uh, that tech seems, you know, a bit more futuristic and current up to date. I would agree with you about the uh, use of email in this film. And that is probably one of the most dated bits of this film and probably a, a bit that does take you out of... Um, I mean, I, I really enjoyed watching this, and um, but that sequence did take me out of the film because it, it did seem very uh, particularly dated. And, it, it, you know, I, I was just amazed that essentially Tom Cruise's kind of mission depends on basically sending random people emails, you know, as if he's trying to perpetrate some sort of Nigerian bank fraud. <laughs> yeah, it's just... I don't know. It just it does kind of slow it down. I mean, the, the film's strengths are its um, action set pieces, of which there's three of them. We will discuss that a bit later. And those are really well done. I think they're really well handled by Brian De Palma. Obviously, the one, the theft of the files from the CIA, um, with him dangling over a wire, it's still referenced now. It is an iconic scene. But I think in between, there is a lot of guff. There's some, you know, convoluted plot. You know, there's a there's a line... In, in there where one of the characters is going to Ethan, Ethan, you're not making any sense. And that's kind of how I felt for the vast majority of this film. It was just kind of filler till we got to another set piece. I believe there were big script problems with the film before it was made. It was it went to pre-production without an actual script, um, just with Brian De Palma sketching out the direction for the action sequences. I think that really shows in the kind of convoluted and sort of nonsense plot that we get in between all the actual good bits of the film. I have to say, I didn't find this plot too 
complicated and although I have read quite a few sort of reviews which you complain about how much sense the plot makes but um, perhaps I'm just not thinking about this film enough because it it sort of seemed fairly straightforward to me in ter- especially in terms of these you know twisty turny espionage type thrillers I think what lets it down is it kind of lacks the humour of the 80s films of this genre sort of action films tend to have a lot more sort of humour in them it's kind of pre-humorless film and then it lacked the realism of later films like the Bourne Identities series and the Bonds that came in the 2000s. It's kind of caught between the two. Not funny enough, uh, not enough action and realism. So therefore kind of left me, it just left me a little bit cold, really. Sorry, are you, are you making a case for the realism of the 2000 Bonds? I mean, I mean you, are you are They're you a bit more gritty. They're a bit more gritty, in you, my view. You're not talking about like things like... Are you talking Brosnan or are you talking... No, 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 no. I'm talking uh, the newest incarnation. Right. <laughs> yeah, not Brosnan. Let's let's get that straight. Yeah, because I don't think anyone in uh, anyone in the world would do, describe uh, Die Another Day as a sort of gritty and realistic espionage No, I'll take, take that on board. The Daniel Craig kind of reboots the sort of tougher Bond, um, which kind of fell right in line with the, with the Bourne identity, basically. It's following that kind of uh, stylistic link. I think this was just sort of in between two stools, apart from the action sequences, didn't deliver. Well, one thing I wanted to sort of touch on was the action sequences, because when this film came out, there were some sort of complaints from uh, people that it had sort of betrayed the ethos of the TV series, which was very much more about team of people being brought together to complete a sort of secret espionage mission. And there were complaints that sort of, there was too much emphasis was placed on traditional action set pieces and Tom Cruise's character. What, how did you feel about the, the, that sort of balance in this film? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I wasn't, I'm not a huge uh, connoisseur of the original uh, Mission Impossible series. I've watched it a few times. I mean, Tom Cruise is an action man. I mean, to be fair to him, he does a lot of his own stunts in this. You see, uh, the, one of the scenes that I enjoyed was the fish tank scene, which it all, it all explodes. You see him kind of bolt out the window followed by a ton of water and he kind of runs into the distance. Apparently, you know, he did, he did that stunt himself, which he, he had, it was a risk of him drowning apparently. Um, but he decided he wanted to give it go for more realism. He, you know, the many of the stunts are done by him, but I just, and they were good, but I don't, I don't know, something about Tom Cruise. I don't really get by him as a hard man. And I don't really want to see him in an action film. I just something kind of, a bit vanilla about his whole character you know he's a good actor in a very small sort of narrow field i think action for him i don't i I don't get him as an action man yeah i don't quite get what he is bringing to the action table because he doesn't feel particularly dangerous he doesn't feel vulnerable he doesn't feel really intelligent so he just is just he really, just is. He just is. Tom Cruise is. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, all you need to know. Well, and people f- go to see his films, though. This is the thing. He, he gets, you know, top billing, top line films every time because people like to see a Tom Cruise movie. I don't know what's wrong with people, but their basic brains, but they just, that's all they need is Tom Cruise in a film and they will go and see it. So where are you with Tom Cruise then? Is he an actor that you like or is he somebody you don't like? What, is there a particular film that you do like of his is a, i like to be a... rain man rain man he was good in that he had is that's the sort of thing i think he should be in the kind of he's got a certain charm he's, he can he, you know he can act in that kind of style he's more believable there's kind of a cheeky uh you know um oh god what was the one where um 
show me the money. Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. He was good in Jerry Maguire. That kind of, you know, uh, secret of my success is kind of that spunky kind of humor. He's got humor there. Uh, he just, I don't know, maybe it's the roles he takes. He can do those. He, he, I reckon he's, he's very good in those kind of films, but in these kind of action films, maybe he's not given that kind of ammunition to, to, to do what he does best. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I would agree with you. I just don't think he, he's kind of competent, but he doesn't excite me as a, yeah. as a, as a action actor. Um, he's not somebody, if you said, oh, he's going to be in this, this big action vehicle that I would be chomping at the so bit what? to go exactly. and, to go you and see care, it. Yeah. You'd be more interested in if, if the film was good rather than if Tom Cruise is in it, but that's not how everyone thinks. Well, I've talked about Tom Cruise. Uh, let's sort of touch upon the supporting cast. There's quite a lot of well-known actors in this film. And the cast is, I think, quite eclectic. Uh, who did you like? Was there anyone that you didn't? I always liked Jean Reno. He, he's, he's... He's very French, isn't he? He's very French. He's very watchable. He's got a watchable face. Like, he's got, he's a, he's got, he's, he works the eyes very well. He's a good eye actor. <laughs> in my opinion. It's very, it's not many, many people are good eye actors. He's good. He doesn't sort of do a lot in this, but I like him. I like watching him. He's, in, he's sort of interesting. You think he might do something. Ving Rhames is in this as well, um, who's excellent in Pulp Fiction. Kind of... Dad, I, I just think the script's bad. I think, you know, you could be the best actor in the world trying to wring something out of a kind of limp uh, script that's been done over with four or five drafts until they get what they want. You know, that's probably why how some of these supporting actors... I don't think they really... It's not the role of their lifetimes here. I don't know if you agree or disagree. Well, this is very much a Tom Cruise film, so the supporting actors are very much required to support Tom Cruise. So uh, <laughs> I don't think that many of them get a great sort of moment to shine. Ving Rhames is kind of... like uh, You know, for somebody who's meant to be a computer hacker, he's quite interesting casting. He's not... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't really sort of buy him as a sort of computer genius. Don't know. Yeah, um, it's good to see Emilio Estevez. Fans of the eighties <laughs> must be. He apparently is uncredited in this. Um, I don't know why he would. He, he gets a bit of screen time at the beginning and he's he's killed very very quickly. Um, I personally want to see more Emilio Estevez in any film that that I go to cinema <laughs> to see. They benefit from just his presence, in my view. Well, he gets killed off in this film very quickly, and it, that pretty much sort of killed off his his career in the nineties because he's <laughs> he Who was. Is he? What is he doing? He has he does do a bit of acting. I think he directed he directed a film um, a few years back, which uh, was something to do with um, the Kennedys. I think it might have been a film about Bobby Kennedy or something. And really, uh, I th- check that out. I think it got decent reviews. But uh, was his yeah. dad in it? I think his dad may have been in it. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm really going off a very vague memory now. So that family has a wealth of t- a talent pool that is, uh, you know, would leave others jealous. It does indeed. And uh, what did you? Uh, I have to say, in terms of the um, supporting cast, I was particularly struck by uh, Emmanuel Beart in this uh, film and her impossibly inflated lips. I oh think- yeah. I think she's the only woman who I've ever seen whose makeup routine probably involves a bicycle pump. But uh... <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. Didn't do much for me. And has she been in anything since? I haven't seen her in anything. She's like one of those kind of like the typical Bond girl that you see. 
not not really got much. Very attractive, but you, you won't see him in anything else. They're just there for their for the TNA, let's say. Uh, well, uh, she's quite a well-known and well-regarded uh, actress in France, Dara. But uh, <laughs> you're probably too you're too busy you're too busy watching your uh, Iranian uh, marriage dramas to uh, to really be up to date on uh, French cinema. So I, I'll, French I'll... cinema, yeah, I'm lacking in that area. So I'll, I'll take on board your superior knowledge of French cinema later. So whilst I enjoyed this film, um, I wasn't completely immune to the fact that it does have a few flaws. We kind of touched on a couple already, some of the sort of dated tech. But there were a couple of odd moments in the film as well. I don't know, Dara, if you noticed in the kind of the famous sequence where they're uh, infiltrating the CIA and there's a the bit where... This rat is uh, creeping up on Jean Renault, who's kind of got uh, crews dangling from a large wire. And uh, the rat kind of causes Renault to sort of lose his grip on the rope, sending kind of crews into all sorts of problems as the infiltrating thing. But then when we uh, cut back to Jean Renault, suddenly this this rat is dead. And uh, <laughs> I was left wondering, like, how, how I wanted to know how the rat died. Like, what killed it? How did it die? It's very weird. I mean, first of all, fantastic scene. Probably for me, apart from the Chopper Fireball, the scene of the film is very iconic. It's sort of stood the test of time. It's uh, got quite an amount of suspense sort of that you miss throughout the rest of the film. You know, him dangling there and it's all quite quiet. Really well done. But this it touches one of the other things I meant sort of thought about this scene was, you know, with all the technology they've got, they're cutting edge. These people, you know, they've got everything at their disposal. And yet Jean Reno is lowering Tom Cruise on a rope with his hands. And why on earth is there not some sort of contraption, some sort of pulley system that he could control so he can go up and down? No, this guy's lowering with his hands, which also means that how did he kill that rat? Because his hands are completely full. He can't let go of the rope because Cruise will hit the floor. So what, did he bite the rat? Did he, was the, is the smell of his French aroma, did that kill the rat? <laughs> I, I, this is one of the mysteries I think you know maybe in the um, DVD extras they might be able to shed some light on because I'm stumped I have a theory I think maybe Renault took the rat out with a knife but uh, the one that he sort of then drops into uh, into the room but that's I guess because we never get to we never get more we never get more, a clue or a hint as to how actually uh, that rat died I, I did also sort of wonder maybe they were worried about like Petter or some sort of animal humane association kind of like picketing the set if they you know showed somebody killing an animal with their bare hands or something. Hey, I'm, so, I'm sorry, guys. You you, you can't kill rats. This, this is not acceptable in, in the nineties. That's why I imagine them sorry in a in a Woody Allen voice. Um, yeah. I, I, I reckon, well, do we know Woody Allen's view on this? Maybe he probably would have been, he probably would have been at the front of that picket line, I reckon. Another of the problems I had with this film was its attempt to sort of keep faith with the original TV series, which, you know, relied very heavily on kind of like the team doing very sort of elaborate secret infiltration of a sort of enemy enemy base and a key part of that would be people disguising themselves as other people but so they try to keep faith in that here with uh, Tom Cruise disguising himself as various people throughout the film but it always just looked like Tom Cruise disguised as Tom Cruise I don't know <laughs> yeah it's kind of it's got it's the big the big mama's house syndrome where you know <laughs> <laughs> kind of like everyone, everyone, you know exactly who it is. They just got a bit of latex on the face. I think this is before. Well, this is before C. Could they have CGI'd it and made it look good? But then it wouldn't have. You want the the effect of him if in tearing off the mask 
sort of to uh, for the reveal so they couldn't have cgi'd that could they i don't know it doesn't work does it it's kind of it does look fake and to be honest you know we talked about it earlier but they, they kind of a lot of the criticism for this film was that they didn't really follow that was one of the few elements that they did um take from the original mission possible i think they they offered the script to for cameos to a number of the old old guard who were in the original and, and someone like martin landau actually slated it on its release saying they had nothing to do with the original this is also the the fact that um phelps um, turned out to be a traitor in this film and he was uh the brains and the good guy in the original one that obviously put a lot of people off so it's kind of like typical where they're trying to attract the old audience and they end up alienating everybody and yet this this film made a ton of money so you know you get the films you deserve people yeah this film did get quite a bit of criticism for the way it deviated from the original tv series I don't think all of that is necessarily fair. I think that the action elements within this film are actually reasonably in keeping with the original TV series. I actually think there's more of a divergence in, in some of the later sequels where, you know, there are, there's not really many fist fights or kind of martial arts fights in, in this film, which you get much more of that in the, the later films. And so I, I feel, you know, here there is very, a lot of emphasis on um, these kind of three set pieces, which do involve, you know, deception, sleight of hand, kind of people using cunning and technical skill and disguises to kind of do the uh, to do the infiltrations. The the kind of turning Jim Phelps's character into a bad guy, I actually quite like that. I'm not heavily, whilst I've watched the original series, I don't have a heavy emotional investment in it. So actually, I think that was quite a quite a neat trick in the sense of you just think, oh, it's Jim Phelps, he's going to be an absolute you know copper bottomed good guy and then it turns out that obviously he's the the main villain of the piece and so i thought that that actually you know was quite a quite i didn't mind that sort of uh little little sleight of hand by the script writers to sort of throw you off the scent as to who the real sort of bad guy was so i didn't really have too many problems from that uh, aspect of the film I, I didn't really care either way really um about the the change um, really what I was more concerned was the actual quality of the film and sort of enjoyment level and I just thought it was I didn't I didn't really care by that point I wasn't that I wasn't really that bothered just get me to the next action sequence uh, uh, really is kind of what this film's about so we're sort of five films deep into this franchise now how do you think sort of Mission Impossible holds up against the sequels are you going to go and bother us to see Rogue Nation I've gotten I literally got no desire to see it I mean, if I, I, I often look at reviews, um, sort of Rotten Tomatoes and just see if, if all the reviews are coming out saying this film's a brilliant film, I might, I might go and see it. Otherwise, dude, why do you want, why do you need to see another Mission Impossible film? You know what's going to happen. Just swap over the bad guy for someone else, stick another cover gadget, you know, Cruz is going to win in the end. It's what, I got better things to do with my time. <laughs> I will probably go and see it, but um, I do have issues now with the franchise in the sense of some of the actors they've now brought into it. I, They've brought in Simon Pegg as this... Well, they've basically brought in Simon Pegg as Simon Pegg. And right. he, I just find... He's just cinematic kryptonite to me. He's kind <laughs> of... He's good in a certain thing, but you kind of put him in these big 
budget films, like he's in the Star Trek films as Scotty. I think he's terrible yeah. in those. And yeah. I think he's really terrible in Mission Impossible as the, as the, well, he's providing the kind of light relief that you seem to be wanting from uh, the Mission Impossible. Well, film. it needs to go, it needs to decide what it wants to do. Does it want to be that kind of 80s light relief type film? Or does it want to be a gritty, what, I don't know, it's kind of, it's catching all stalls. What it is, it's just, it makes, it makes a ton of money. I think they, the, the studios are clever these days. They want to get all their catchment areas for, to get the, to get the money through the door. And they do that and they make these films. That's why they've made five of them because they make so much money. But as, will they be remembered in the future? No, they won't. Okay, we're going to take a short break to hear from another LAM Podcasting Network show, and after that we'll be back to talk about the exploding helicopter action. Why haven't you seen To Kill a Mockingbird? I was too busy rewatching the Marvel Cinematic Universe films again. Why haven't you seen Mad Max? Do you know how hard it is to track down a copy of The Return of Captain Invincible? Why haven't you seen The Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Did you know that Road to Perdition was originally a comic book? This is Bubba Wheat from Flights, Tights, and Movie Nights, and on each episode of FilmWise, my guest introduces me to a film that they're passionate about and I've never seen before, and in return, I introduce them to a comic book or superhero film that they're curious about. Find it every other week at FilmWise.com, iTunes, or Stitcher. Hello, so we're back, and we're now talking about the exploding helicopter action in this film. This takes place on the Eurostar train, where we eventually find out that John Voight is in fact a double-dealing traitor. After shooting his own girlfriend, he escapes to the train's roof, where Jean Renault is waiting for him in a hovering helicopter. Cruz follows Voight and uses a dangling winch line to tether the chopper to the train as it speeds into the channel tunnel. With the chopper being towed by the train, Voight and Cruz uh, duke it out... Uh, on board the train and then the helicopter. Uh, Cruz jumps onto the other end of the helicopter's landing skis, sticks an explosive piece of gum to the windshield, and bam! Inevitably, the blast kills the baddies, but Cruz is propelled onto the back of the slowing train. The blazing chopper crashes on behind him, and its sharp rotor blades uh, stop just short of his neck. Dara, what did you make of this exploding helicopter? For a film that's not really set the world alight, in my view, this is probably one of the best chopper fireballs you will ever see. It dr- it drags it out for a long time. There's a lot. There's a lot to it. It's really well done. The action is well. Whilst it's kind of a bit ludicrous, um, sort of a helicopter following a train, being dragged along like a toy toy helicopter behind the train and then flying into the tunnel, and you know the rotor blades just spinches from his face like he's operating a surgical surgical saw it's ludicrous but it's it's very very well done it's exciting it also contains the actual funniest point of the film it's not it's not saying a lot where um david schneider pops up from behind the behind the console um people might know david schneider as uh the man who played tony hares in the alan partridge series um with his sort of face looking looking at crews looking at the helicopter smashing in front of his train and then and then him fainting that's the sort of funniest bit of the film for me. Um, I've got a very sophisticated sense of humour. Yeah, really well done. The explosion is amazing. The way it explodes, how the debris tumbles after the train. It is a masterclass in chopper fireball action. Well, I'm, I'm glad you managed to find some praise for this film and managed to. You even you were even struggling to drag out some praise for what is a sensational helicopter explosion. I, I it's really. Excellent. I'm not going to argue with you. It's an excellent, <laughs> excellent scene. You, but yeah, it was re- it was painful getting those words out of you, though. It really was. 
look, mate, I'm not going to mess about. I'll tell you how I, how it is. <laughs> but yeah, I, it is absolutely. Uh, it's imaginative. It's inventive. It's got it's got everything that you want. It's kind of it builds the scene slowly, and mm. you know it kind of pays off really well it doesn't uh, you know it knows this is the climax of the film so it knows it's kind of got to deliver on every uh on every sort of uh, uh aspect of the of the sequence i did wonder about the physics of this scene in terms of uh, tom cruise being blown by blown, yeah. the explosion onto the onto the train i think I, you know i'd like to get somebody uh, like stephen hawkins to kind of have a look at whether that is actually um you know, possible within the mechanics of the known universe. Yeah, I think that would be a good use of Stephen Hawking's time. He's, he's not got a lot to worry about right now. So that, that we could put him on this, get him on the, get him on the payroll, the uh, exploding helicopter payroll. Um, yeah, I would have imagined if a, a helicopter explodes right near you, it might burn your flesh to some degree. Didn't seem to see that. I mean, Tom Cruise's flesh is quite, is very valuable. So maybe that he said, no, I don't want my flesh burned. Therefore, I, I will just I'll just explode from the helicopter back onto the train. I mean, it's a fantastic scene, but you you really do have to suspend your disbelief. And I do think that in this sequence we see a, the birth of one of the tropes of the exploding helicopter genre, which is spinning rotor blades, kind of spinning ever closer to the hero, but then just stopping, you know, millimeters short of. Uh, of them to prevent a kind of uh, particular decapitation. I mm. can't think of another film which did that before this one. So I think um, it's, I've def- we've definitely seen it um, quite a few times subsequently. So I, I, I think uh, Mission Impossible may well have that in its, you know, be a kind of history-making film in terms of the invention of that particular sort of trope that is now being uh, regularly seen in uh, helicopter explosions in other films. Yeah, it always reminds me of that kind of particular thing of uh, of James Bond and, and is it Doctor No where he where there's a the laser goes and nearly nearly chops off his um meat and two veg. Is it Doctor No? Uh that's Goldfinger. Goldfinger. There you go. I'm getting my bonds mixed up. Um yeah, that, it can't, that's it just has that element to it kind of uh the, the the jeopardy of of having a body part nearly removed. I like that. Well, I think it would be quite good if we saw a future film that that was the body part in jeopardy by some spinning helicopter rotor blades. That would be... I don't know how they would do that. You'd have to be <laughs> dangled from something or... In, in a very unusual position. position. We can make it happen. This is a script that's... Is, is, this is an idea that uh, I think a lot of people would be interested in. Well, after Stephen Hawking has kind of figured out whether you can be like thrust forward by an exploding helicopter in this way, maybe he can... Uh, turns attention to uh, how you could sever somebody's genitalia potentially with uh, some spinning helicopter rotor blades absolutely when he's on the payroll basically you have to do whatever we say so you know there's a whole load of stupid things we'll get him doing no problem well i think that just about wraps things up for today dara thanks for coming back on the show pleasure as always if you uh, come back on again i was hoping we might be able to consider the cinema of the ukraine I, I don't think I've got time for the Ukraine, I'm afraid. Well, if you like what you've heard, then please check out the Exploding Helicopter website, or you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr. We're basically everywhere. We'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters.
This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.